All right, here we go. Here is chapter two of Lifeblood, the audio drama with special guests sitting in for the commentary, our one and only lovely Frank Elwood. Okay, good morning. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hopefully you're doing well as well. That's a lot of wells. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good too. I'm glad you um, were down for us to have this little chat. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> okay, so let's get started with uh, some basic questions, right? Tell me a little bit about your experience as a voiceover artist. Well, I've been doing voiceover for or voiceover voice acting for the last 10 years. I have no idea how many projects I've done. I've, I've never kept count. Sure. So, I mean, most of it has been voiceover uh, mm -hmm. and then voice acting, but that's just the paying job right there. Sure. But as I mean, as far as like acting goes, I mean, I've been on stage, on screen, wherever for the last 32 years. Yes, I'm old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been around. I've seen some stuff. Okay. Do you remember what had you more interested in voiceover? than stage acting because it sounds like that's what you're saying you've leaned more into um the pay was better i see okay <laughs> simple as that <laughs> okay all right what are some big differences you've noticed between the two between voiceover and stage mm -hmm. well i mean with voiceover you can you can do it multiple times you you know <laughs> if, if you flub a line you can redo it Sure. And on stage, you, you can't. Plus, on stage, you always have the opportunity to react off of somebody. You can right. feed off of their energy. Mm -hmm. Where in voiceover, you just talk to yourself all the time. Sure. Have you done many projects that have like table reads? It's, yeah. I mean, most projects have table reads uh, that I do. Mm -hmm. um, it's just in a, in a table read, the actors are not giving 100%. Sure. Because it's the first time they're reading it. So they might go up to 50, 60% of what they're going to do. So you have a general idea. Right. But other than that, I mean, sometimes you'll hear, you know, the director will hear a drop of an actor doing 100% and another actor doing 100%. And both of them did a really good job, but they both don't go together. Sure. So. Okay. So yeah, that leads me into a, my next question, which is um, what's something that you feel like you'll never do again with voiceover? Uh, well, as far as voice overwork goes um i will never sign a contract before seeing a script oh that's a good one uh i, I i've done that before and it wasn't it wasn't good <laughs> okay. so so you, you get stuck in a project that you don't want to be on because it's either the script you don't like or you don't like the direction or you don't like the story you know so there, there's a lot of things that you kind of need to see something, you know, it, it can be yeah. a rough script, but you have to know just something about your character. You, you, it's hard to explain, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how to explain it and I can't. Um, and as Jin far as, quoi. what's that? Je ne sais quoi. Exactly. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and as far as stage acting, uh, I will never go on stage naked again. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't have the body for it anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a whole different story, but yeah. You'll have to tell me that sometime, but all right. <laughs> okay. No, that's a good one. I think it's interesting you mentioned that because I think that's something that a lot of people who are kind of wetting their feet with, um, that's not the expression, is it? Getting their toe in the pool then um, yes. with voiceover. You do have a lot of things that you kind of audition for a little bit blindly. And especially with kind of working in the prosumer side of it, you definitely get huge variations with projects. Oh, yes. I've done some where I've agreed to it didn't realize it was going to be a multi-month thing and got like zero director information. Do you ever have that thing happen where they only send you your lines? Oh, yes. I hate that. I can't stand that. <laughs> how do I know yeah. how I'm supposed to react? Uh, I mean, actually, I just finished a project where that's how the director did it, but mm. he gave me direction on how to say every line. But I still asked him, I go, hey, can I see the other person's lines? And they're yeah. like, no, we do this for privacy reasons. And I'm like, okay, well, I understand that, but mm. you have to give me something to react off of. Right. You can't just give me a stage direct and, okay, you're scared. Mm -hmm. Why am I scared? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like what's acceptable in the audition lines is not what's acceptable for the whole project. You need a little more to go on. Exactly. Following from that, 
Uh, do mm -hmm. you remember what your initial reaction was for our project here, for Lifeblood? What you were thinking of the either description I gave you or when you got your hand on the first script? Well, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't know if we should say this or not, but I, I will just <laughs> to, to embarrass you here. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I went back and I mean, this is how you approached me. Yeah. Um, you're like, hey, have you ever played a villain before? And I'm like, yes, I have. What's up? Mm -hmm. And you're like, I decided to adopt a story. I'm working on an audio drama. It's like a comedic spin on a Stephen King style plot. And I need someone for the recurrent role of the series, a baddie, big, big corporate bigwig. Mm -hmm. and, th and then you sent me the script. <laughs> so and then I'm like, OK, well, are you asking me or do you want me to, <laughs> you know, you want my impression on it? And yeah. you're like, uh, no, I think you'd be great for the role. So mm -hmm. I'm like. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that was, that was the initial reaction, um, for this. Yeah. And then once I, once I grabbed the script and everything, I'm like, yes, I'll gladly do it. Okay. I, I you know, I really enjoyed the character. Mm -hmm. So, and then once other scripts came out, you know, I, I saw some of the character development and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So that, that really helped out. Awesome. Yeah. I think that was some of my, uh, being a greenie when it came to directing. <laughs> with that intro definitely could have sold it better to you i mean it's fine i mean because we've worked together on other projects so mm -hmm. you, you you know you ha you you kind of knew me right so i mean we do have that uh previous relationship you know to go on mm -hmm. so i mean i don't i don't think you would just want to grab some random person that you've never worked with before and said nah, hey not for elwood you want to be a villain <laughs> you know <laughs> Sure, why not? You know, I, yeah, I, I don't think it works that way. So No, no. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I pretty much handpicked most of Chapter 1's characters because I yep. kind of knew that they were going to be my introduction and my audience's introduction to this world. So I, I really was a bit of a control freak about Chapter 1. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think we got a good crew together now and it's been... It's been fun helming a project, even though it's been a little nuts for me. And I know that's, you know, kind of old news to you. Do you have any idea how many uh, projects you've either written or helmed? Projects that I've written, um, mm -hmm. I've probably done over 20. Wow. Um, projects that I've helmed, mm -hmm. like, I I would say it's around the, the um, six or seven, mm -hmm. somewhere in that mark. Mm-hmm. So, because I mean, I'm not counting shorts and stuff like that, like you know, sure. one-offs and stuff like that. I don't, I don't count those. What's the one so, you think you're most proud of? The one that I'm most proud of mm -hmm. is, well, it, I mean, it's not an audio drama. Um, okay. But I mean, the one that the the one the audio drama that I'm most proud of is probably the one that I'm working on right now. Okay. So you know, taking all the lessons learned from all the other um, all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. and just trying to trying to get the best performance out of everybody sure so and really knowing how to talk to uh people better uh how to write better how to direct better you know all that stuff you know all comes mm -hmm. with experience so right. it's interesting you phrase it like that i wonder if that's always going to be how you feel about it just whatever one you're currently on taking uh, all the things likely, you've yes. learned yeah 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 that's because if you asked me a couple months ago i would have said the last one <laughs> right right <laughs> I think we were talking about that earlier in the chat, like just saying like, oh, this is overwhelming. And you're like, as soon as you're done, you're going to want to do it again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you'll you'll have that moment of relaxation and then you're like, OK, I'm bored. Right. <laughs> That's such a creative thing. Yeah. I feel like if we're not overwhelmed, we're not happy. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> so what would be your best description of your character for somebody who hasn't really listened to the series too much yet best description of the character mm -hmm. um well with with the scripts that i've seen and i could be completely wrong but the, with the scripts that i've seen anyways mm -hmm. uh, i will say it like this he is the villain that doesn't realize he's a villain fair um because he just it's, it's business for him mm -hmm. uh, yeah i mean he's always trying to get things done he wants to get it done quickly and mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't care about the cost Mm -hmm. whether it's human or money he doesn't care mm -hmm. and he's just i mean he's a character that i wouldn't say he's unlikable mm -hmm. but he's not likable <laughs> at the same time yeah so because yeah. when you first hear him you'll have no idea what he is or what he does sure and then even in the second episode I don't know if you still realize who exactly he is. Right. Because now you're going to hear a completely different per uh, perspective on him. 
Right, right. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, building off of that, do, do mm -hmm. you feel like this is a type of character that you get typecast as, or is this kind of different for you? Uh, this is uh, mostly different for me. Okay. Um, I mean, because, you know, this is my natural speaking voice, and mm -hmm. this is not the voice of the character, of right, course. Right. I mean, I've played villains before, mm -hmm. but it's usually the um, more of the action type villain. Mm -hmm. So the one that's going to, the one that's going to, you know, do some harm to somebody in a physical way. Right. Okay. So whereas this character, he doesn't do that, at least to my knowledge so far, he's not the physical type. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. And going from that, what do you feel like is the most fun type of character to portray? What do you have the best time with? What's your favorite? Uh, my, my favorite type of character to play is mm -hmm. always the, the unwilling hero okay. or the character that has just a lot of range mm -hmm. um whether it's just it's it's emotions or you know, uh you know whether it's sadness or excitement or mm -hmm. just something like that other than you know i'm talking like a robot character you know <laughs> yeah something that lets you kind of stretch make use of your muscles right yeah, it's just it's it's fun to when you start getting into emotion with mm -hmm. characters. I think as I mean, at least me as a director, mm -hmm. I, I like hearing how the actors portray their emotions because mm -hmm. sometimes you got to say, hey, no, you got to tone it down a little bit. In other words, you're like, hey, um, sorry, but you you know, your best friend just just got murdered in front of you. <laughs> I, and you know come on you gotta act like you you care at least you know come on give sure. me something you know so yeah yeah i can see that that's funny and this i already kind of know what you're gonna answer but i'm gonna ask it anyway okay what do you think your biggest challenge has been so far for this project in particular uh the script i mean the language <laughs> yeah but i mean like i mean i'm sure that you knew exactly what i was gonna say yep. um but i also find it to be my favorite thing about this project okay can you um, elaborate on that yeah, well, it's because I don't talk like this character. Right. Um, I've never played a character that talks like this character. He's very witty. Mm -hmm. um, he's quick. Mm -hmm. um, he's very articulate. Mm -hmm. um, he's not loose at all. I mean, I think he's very, um, very educated, but he doesn't want to brag about it. So the way that you have him constructing sentences <laughs> is very unique, and sure. I like it. Okay. So it's just, it's a struggle because sometimes my, my tongue and my mouth and my brain and my eyes don't all want to do the same thing. So, yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's why we are actors. Sure. You know, no one mm -hmm. wants the easy script. I, I mean, yes, the train went up the hill. Okay. The train went down the hill. Yes. You know, <laughs> but to say it in a completely unique way, mm -hmm. um, which uh, your writing style has done. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's a struggle, but I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I feel like with this, it's interesting because I know we were talking about just writing in general kind of recently because, like you said, you've written a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. It's not really my normal writing style either. Uh, it, it, it was me trying to mimic some of the stories I'd been reading and watching and listening to recently that I was just finding incredibly funny. Right. Right. So uh, I finally sat down and, and read or honestly listened to the audiobooks of like the Douglas Adams series, The Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm -hmm. And I've been working through some of his other lesser known stuff. And he has this kind of Monty Python-esque delivery. And I don't know if that's because, you know, he they're both from the UK or if it's maybe just sort of they both happen to land on a really similar vein of comedy but well I've, their their version of comedy is completely different from american comedy i mean well yes and no right i feel like when it's totally different you don't laugh at it whereas when i watch a monty python skit i'm probably still gonna laugh at it you know well right yeah i mean um but i mean Douglas Adams is definitely different than Monty Python. Monty Python mm -hmm. is more crude humor. Sure. Um, where Douglas Adams is more elaborate. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, he'll set up a joke and the punchline will come minutes later. <laughs> Very true. So, where Monty Python is right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I I've just found it interesting. So, the same way that you're struggling to read some of these lines if it's uh you know misery loves company i i have a hard time writing them sometimes uh and trying to stick to this particular genre that i'm trying to work within for this story well good now i feel better <laughs> okay <laughs> 
Um, you already answered my next question, which was, what's your favorite thing about this project? So it sounds like all kind of the same answer there. Am I wrong? Yep. Okay. Is there anything in particular in the series that you're looking forward to? Um, well, other than the obvious, uh, mm-hmm. finding out what happens next. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's the obvious. Well, but it's nice to hear. I think a lot of projects people are on, they kind of, it's like, all right, I'll read these lines. I think it's a big compliment when my, gosh, what's the word? When my actors, there it is. Uh, yeah. when, when they, you know, care about the story, I think there's kind of no higher praise because they're the ones who are immersed in it the most and certainly before any of the audiences. So it's a great barometer for if the story is going to be successful or not. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I can understand also with some of the characters that have been uh, introduced so far mm-hmm. that they wouldn't care because and it's not because of anything that you've done. It's just their uh, position. Yeah, um, parts. You know, it's a minor character. They don't yep. care. So I I can see that. But yeah, I mean, as far as the main characters go, I mean, I would assume that most of your main characters will care. I mean, you do have a good cast. For sure. I I think I'm very lucky that a lot of the people who I've made connections with, because I I think it's a kind of insular community voiceover in general. And then you get a more insular community of voiceover artists who are willing to work, you know, sometimes for free. And then you've got an even smaller amount. It's like going through a funnel of voiceover artists who sometimes are willing to work for free and give a decent performance with quality audio. So, yes. Well, especially on the last part, on the quality audio part. Yep. Yeah. So I feel like you see the same handful of people in a lot of the same projects. It does seem to work that way. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense. And Uh, I'm thankful for the connections I've made personally. I mean, hopefully they just keep on growing. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, let me see what other questions did we talk about before. Do you remember any part of recording this episode, episode two, um, that we're about to listen to that particularly stood out for you, for better or for worse? Um, Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is my episode, so... Um, yeah, I mean, what do I, I think I have, like, I don't know how long the episode is, but I think I have around 20 minutes of dialogue in this episode. Yeah. And it's about 38 minutes to answer your question. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm at least 50% of the vocal. For sure. In this episode though, we definitely got to know more about my character, Elwood, Mm -hmm. and we get to know more about what he does and the people that, um, are around him. Mm Mm-hmm more directly mm-hmm. so whereas the first episode it's more um the focus is on the other characters mm-hmm. so that's probably what stood out the most to me anyways sure. and as far as i mean when people listen to this i mean they'll hear the um, the monologue hell that yeah you know <laughs> i had to go through multiple times yeah. so yeah but i mean all the monologues were really good okay. um they're not boring hopefully they they keep you involved. Uh, I mean, they're full of interesting comments or facts about that you'll need to know for later parts of the story. Yeah. So, I mean, they move they they move the story really well. And plus the special thing that you did with my character, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that's going to be original too. Cool. So uh, I won't say it because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you want people to hear it. So Right. I mean, people <clears> are going to have heard that chapter by the time they're hearing this um well they might you don't know true all right they might hear listen to this first true true yeah i mean uh, i obviously i know what you're referencing but just um speaking about the monologues i i do think it's kind of interesting that when i was initially writing this project uh my plan had been to always tell it from hugo's perspective it's why i gave him such a unique voice in chapter one but i started to realize that there were some things that just it didn't follow that we would have to wait so long for the audience to learn the things that the characters learn. And I think that I realized I needed to introduce some dramatic irony into the scene, right? Where the audience has a little bit of a head start ahead of the protagonists. Yeah, there's going to be things that Hugo, the character, mm-hmm. is never going to know. Right. So, yes, it has to be told from other characters. Right. Yeah. And when I was looking at other suspense novels that I was kind of inspired by for the plot, a lot of them do that thing where they switch perspectives for a little while. The difference being that most of those are told in third person, and I had already decided that I wanted to write it in first person and didn't want to have an official narrator. So that is where the monologue hell comes from. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, even if you had a narrator there, Mm -hmm. um, a narrator would have to go through that too. 
Yeah, but they'd at least know what they were in for. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, some and like like you, I agree with the narrator. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it works. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. So and having the revolving narrator type um, speaking, yeah. I think, is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. I think I wouldn't have made this decision if it were uh, just written, you know, just prose. But the fact that it was audio and I always envisioned it as audio, I think, has made some drastic changes to my choices when it comes to how I'm writing it and what I feel like I can do in the scope of the story. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's been a fun um, experiment for me. All right. Let's see. I think that we've hit most of the questions. Uh, Let me ask you this last one. Okay. So if you had to make one prediction about what will happen to your character by the end of the series, what would it be? Uh, A prediction that happened to my character. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'm the villain. Right. I would assume, and this is just an assumption, that something mm-hmm. bad is going to happen to me. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, the villain could win. Mm. You know, that that's a possibility, too. But, sure. I mean, I, I think that the my character is going to come to the realization mm-hmm. that the creation that he's doing mm-hmm. is either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. <laughs> It's always one of the two, right? It's one. It's, it's got to be one of the two. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to say, you know, because of the character I'm playing, it, it's hard to predict. Right. Because there's multiple paths you can take the character on. For sure. So, I mean, is he going to realize, okay, he's done something wrong. He's going to, you know, regret everything that he's done and try to fix everything. I mean, that's a possibility. I mean... Mm-hmm. He could end up being caught by local law enforcement, uh, mm-hmm. thrown in jail. He could be killed. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so many different possibilities to happen with the character. Okay. Of those that you just listed, is there one that you would prefer? It's not going to change what I have already written for the ending. <laughs> I'm just curious. Um, well, being, I mean, I, I don't see Elwood regretting anything that he's done. Right. I don't see that. Right. I think Elwood would either be terminated by his own creation, mm-hmm. terminated by the people that he works with, right. or just escapes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. leaving his creation alone, and then he goes off somewhere else, and I mean, who knows what happens to him. Sure. Right. So, But I, I don't see a positive ending for him. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's either going to be left alone or, yeah, something bad. Yeah, cool. Interesting. Uh, And we'll just have to wait and see if you're right about that or not, huh? I guess we're going to have to. (laughs) Okay. Um, I am going to now, if you're comfortable with it, cue up the audio and we can start listening. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think, I don't even know if you meant to give me this piece of advice, but I want to thank you for it anyway, which was when I sent you the original, I think it was the trailer to listen to Mm -hmm. you told me that we needed to or i needed to make some changes to make it more obvious when the narration was and when the actual spoken words were yep what i ended up doing for that is putting on like a lo-fi filter and obviously adding more reverb to the scenes where the characters are and that has been huge i think it's subtle but it really seems to i think it was really obvious what was you narrating what was you breaking the fourth wall and yep. then going into when you were muttering to yourself in the office space so i want to thank oh, no, you for that yeah very well done yeah <laughs> thank you i do have some knowledge i don't know <laughs> <laughs> wild idea 35 years of experience gives you some knowledge yeah just just blow <laughs> uh and yeah like we were saying before so this is where the audience learns that Elwood is a little bit more scary than we even thought he was because he he kind of is somewhat aware of the fact that he's in a narrative. So that's right. kind of fun. Yes. Have you done that before? A fourth wall break in, in a uh, Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's always fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got that Deadpool kind of. Yeah, and it's always been more on the comedic side. Sure. I mean, I think it's really hard for just as a writer to make it anything else right because we always want to wink at the camera anyway so when somebody literally knows the camera's there how do you not wink at it right exactly and 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 in my experience it's always helped really well with the transitions Mm -hmm. yeah that's true i think one of the shows that's done it the best would be fleabag yeah i don't know if you've seen that one but yeah that was really a huge inspiration for that that and house of cards so 
which is pretty obvious uh, that that's my inspiration for this character, uh, Frank Underwood to Frank Elwood. But and I, I think you told me that you you never read or saw that, right? So no, I haven't. You are doing an amazing job with that um, bit of stage direction that was not helpful in that case. Well, I mean, that's what Google's for, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it was. The first impression you sent me, I, I said, do a bad Richard Nixon impression. Yes. And then I forgot to tell you that I wanted you to still have the the more kind of front of the face, almost nasally delivery. Yeah. I think in my head, I was combining JFK with Nixon, which is a weird choice on my part to mix those two up. But I think it works for this character. It makes him different enough in how he's speaking like you said it's not your voice right yep yeah i'm, I'm now i'm curious though you know because he's um whoever i'm talking to on the phone says i'm going to be dealt with in the accordion matter mm-hmm. now as an audience we have no idea what that means mm-hmm. so and we now know that you know people um the subjects are at the police station mm-hmm. i mean we can we can kind of um, going off of um, episode one, we know who's there. Right. Uh, at least we think we have an idea who's there. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, this is the the nice intro to Elwood. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, I mean, all we know is that he works in an office mm-hmm. and he's really busy. Right. And he's got his own secretary. So we know very little about him so far. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of love about this scene that for as much as we get the sense, and I feel like you've already done a good enough job of presenting him as kind of this mastermind between this and the monologue you gave in chapter one. Mm -hmm. And seeing him be a little bit beholden to somebody else and a little intimidated by them, I think that adds some of that depth we were talking about that's necessary for villains. Yeah. Yeah. A boss and someone he's a little bit afraid of. This isn't a boss that's a pushover. So... That's kind of a cool dynamic, I think. And I know we've talked about this before, too, you and I, mostly um, after I did that little bit part for you in your series, Walk with Ghosts, Mm -hmm. uh, that having these moments that, uh, gosh, how do I want to say this, inspire an understanding in the audience that the world is bigger than just what they're getting in the script and in the scenes. Oh, exactly. I think that's so important. I think so many people don't do that in their writing and i don't understand why yeah i I, no i agree um yeah some people in their writing they make the world really really small yeah Uh, you have you have to make it big right and look that's a choice i'm sure there are some examples kind of like the uh, agatha christie idea of creating some insulation and then giving kind of a bottle episode can can work for sure. And we yeah, get but that, on most but of hers, it's it's that is by choice because where the action is taking place is on something that's moving. Right. That's true. So it can't be bigger. Yeah, I think it works so, for some stories, but it's right. funny to have a small town where there's a big world outside of it. I think that works. I think that's what makes Stephen King's work so good. I think it's what makes Dean Koontz's Odd Thomas series so good, even though you have these very microcosms of of human interaction, you still get the sense that this is, on some level, the world that we're existing in. And I think that adds some of the tension, too. Correct. Yeah. One thing I really like about this opening, it reminds me of a, a, just a cold opening. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, then you're going into your normal episodic uh, music. Right. You know, where the episode really begins. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I really like this opening. Thank you. Um, you get to see a side of the character that most likely you would not normally get to see. Right. So, and then with the other characters added in, mm-hmm. you know, with Masterson and um, even the um, uh, Stephanie, yep. you know, even though they're in it for little bits of little bits, mm-hmm. they add a lot to the story. Yeah. It's funny you bring up Jimmy. He was probably the most fun I had in chapter one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the actor who plays him did a great job. I, I've worked with him on some other projects too. Uh, his name's Joseph Boslinski. Everybody check out his stuff. But I really love when there are charismatic villains. I think that's so important to making the audience okay with when they're not like in the protagonist's shoes, right? Right. And getting to have the two of them 
even in such a brief scene, act off each other, I, I think that's great. And the fact that you and Joe, it's a testament to your abilities as voice actors that it does sound like they're having this phone call, even though obviously neither of you had at this point heard each other's performances. No. Yeah. No, considering I never, I always send you my drops privately. Yep. Uh, mostly due to the size. Yep. Um, and I don't know if he's done the same, but I, I don't listen to other people's drops on there. So, right. yeah. Um, I mean, he might have dropped it. So, I yeah, I don't remember if by chapter two I had the Discord up and running by the time that the people from chapter one had been giving me their audio. Uh, right. But Jimmy's a relatively small part, but again, I think we see it with some of the other uh, villain characters that we get introduced to later on. I, I think it's just having likable characters for me is so important because I can be interested in the mystery of a story, but if I don't like the people who I'm forced to live through that mystery with, like it, it kills me. I can't do it. Well, I exactly. The audience has to grab onto something. Yeah. But even other performances, like I know a lot of people love like The Witcher on on um, Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. But I just I, I did not find anyone likable enough to care about what happened to them. Right. Yeah. And for me, I think characters have to be central for something that I'm writing or something I'm consuming. Well, ex exactly. I mean, the, the audience has to care for the character, whether it's in a, in a, in a negative uh, state or a positive state. <laughs> yeah, they, that's they a have, good point. They have to attach to them. Yeah. If they don't attach to them, you can ask somebody, hey, what'd you think about an episode of whatever show? Mm -hmm. uh, what'd you think of this character's performance? You'd be like, mm -hmm. who? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, he was the main character. I don't remember. Right, right. You know, I mean, that's that's what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the audience just glad, you know, glazes right over him. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. All right. All right. Sure. I get it. How about you come over here with me, Dax? I think you did a really good job on this part. Uh, having Devin and Rico uh, be your two main characters and focus on um, for this part. Mm -hmm. um, I think they did an outstanding performance. I mean, um, totally agree. Rico has a lot better resume than I ever have. <laughs> um, so, I mean, um, he's he's been around the block too so yeah, um uh, devon i know she's fairly uh new mm -hmm. but uh she's um or I'm they, be there just so you know they yeah yeah they are, are very good so yeah. yeah and i mean your your writing style here is very good too with um the amount of description that you're giving Thank you. So it's very, it's something that the audience, I, I don't know, is going to realize. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might, mm -hmm. but it's just everything that you're giving into, even the small part with the, a weather update in the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, whether it's uh, TV or radio, mm -hmm. it, you are, again, like we talked about before, uh, expanding the world. Right. Yeah, so. I completely agree. I think this is a scene that really benefited from the fact that by the time I was writing it, each Rico and Devin had agreed to play the characters. So yeah. knowing their strengths and letting them play off each other, I, I think really worked out. I think this is also a good example of how adding the music bed was really helpful for this scene. Yes. Is getting that that slow piano piece in the background, I think just punched everything up to 11. Right. And again, those, those are two actors that mo most likely mm -hmm. didn't hear one another. Yep. Because uh, I would imagine Rico emailed you his lines too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because that's what he always does. Yeah. So, and Devin mm -hmm. drops theirs uh, in the Discord. So, and yeah. knowing Rico, he probably had his lines in well before Devin did. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. I yeah, and what you're saying about it expanding the world. Yes. That was an interesting interaction that I actually had with Devin. When they sent me their lines, they asked, like, hey, am I supposed to know what happened to this brother character? And I, I left it vague with them. I, I said that I just sort of wanted there to be this expectation that something went down, the cops got involved. It was bad enough that Dax felt the need to distinguish that this was a half-brother, not a full-brother. And I think it also plays back into that quick conversation we had with Jimmy Masterson, where you find out that maybe the home life wasn't so great, and that maybe the situation with the with the brother was sort of the catalyst to that. 
Correct. I love both of them in this. And yeah, setting up the um, the weather reports shows back up. An interesting thing is a, a fun fact is if you listen to chapter one, based on which of the two broadcasters you're hearing, whether it's um, the female or the male weatherman. Correct. Right. Or weather person. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Whether it's Michael or Kat. Yep. Is how you can tell if it's a radio or a TV. It's a super tiny detail, but I kept it internally consistent. And so if anybody is curious, they can work it out. If not, it doesn't really matter. Right. It's an outside broadcast. That's all you need to know. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, we have another character. We know this character, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're bringing Chris back. Um, yep. Sort of as just a, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll still see him. Yeah. Well, I mean, people should know he's a main part of the story. They should, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's nice how you had the act, the actor who's playing the cashier play her part. Thank you for your patronage. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Just mm-hmm. completely lifeless. <laughs> yeah, that's Starly. She's... um. I actually know her through Joe's project where she plays the main character. So it was sort of fun reaching out to her and saying like, Hey, do you want a complete bit part? <laughs> uh, and she was on board. She did a good job with it. Uh, also the guy who interrupts and says like, Hey, keep it moving. That's another actor who I met through Joe's gosh, his audio drama, Apex Shadow. And mm-hmm. both of them play really predominant, important parts in that. So it's, right. it's fun. And this is what we were saying before seeing the, the way that different actors kind of bounce around projects and how they they really do have a, a plethora of um, of parts that they're capable of playing. Right. More trouble than they'd be worth, you might say. And you'd be right. I also think it's funny just how universal like the background noise at a shopping center is. Like when I was looking up music to have playing the music, right. which I didn't even know that term until I started getting into um, <laughs> the voiceover. <laughs> Uh, it's just so uniquely, yeah, this is playing somewhere publicly. Right. Now, of course, there's still some additional headache. I am surprised on one part of the script, though, and yeah. I'm surprised you included brands. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I, there was no um, there was no sponsored content in that. Uh, well, no, I understand that, but they are they're trademark. Yeah. So well, I'm hopefully just, they don't come after me. Uh, I, no, they won't. I mean, if anything, it's, it's free advertising for them. Right. So uh, you're not talking positive, but you're not talking negative about it. Yeah. 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 Again, I think that was just sort of the world building. Um, I'm also poking fun at the fact that I have a family member who is very specific about which TV dinners they'll consume. So that's a bit of an inside joke there for when they listen to that. Hey, I mean, some TV dinners are really good. Some are oh, like, no. Sure. As we just discussed. Reason two is the people that you have to hire who actually want to work with the little buggers. Those people, by and large, have good hearts. They're empathetic, loving, morally upstanding, and care about the future of this great nation. It makes me sick. However, as an elementary schooler can tell you... Ah, uh, yes, so uh, now we're getting to... The world is getting bigger again. The underachievers are a kind whose mommies and daddies paid for their child... And all the lovely actors that you had in this scene, uh, even though all bid, all bid parts... Uh, just again amplifies how big this operation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a great scene. I mean we got Elwood coming into work, <laughs> you know, in in one of his mini monologues. We're happy just to get a paycheck and babysit a group of shit-brained teens for a week. Yep. So, uh, but it's all to the audience. Right. Still don't know why sometimes he sounds Southern, but sometimes he does. Doesn't, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Rinse and repeat on mass. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, this was probably my favorite monologue in certainly in this chapter and possibly so far of the ones that I've written. Uh, it yeah. just makes him so slimy, you know? Yes. <laughs> And one thing I love about this scene too, uh, the the teacher scene. Come on. Anybody? Anybody just shout it out. In addition to the fact that it's just so universal how classes talk when they talk together, that I didn't even have to make sure everybody was lined up. They all had that same slow level for the hello and for the everyone will hate you comment. Right. Yeah. Very good. That's exactly right. When you 
feel yourself starting to get angry, the best thing to do is to shut down immediately. And whatever you do, never ever tell somebody else that you're feeling angry. Because if you do, say it with me, class. Everyone will hate you and you'll never be loved. Very good. This is a good example for me of like the importance of editing, uh, editing over my script. Because when I first wrote this, I actually had this as a very serious scene where the teacher was giving some actual like decent quality um, coping skills and, and advice on dealing with uh, emotional dysregulation. Right. I, I read back through it. I'm like, girl, what are you doing? Like, this is a comedy. Uh, yeah. Teachers not going to talk like that. No. And I think it also touches on the primary satire of this story, which is, you know, what people expect from rehabilitation programs specifically for children, right? For teenagers. Yep. That it's just going to be, okay, now you don't feel these emotions anymore. Bye-bye. So, yeah, I'm, I'm infinitely glad that some part of me kicked myself in the head and said that I needed to rewrite this scene because I think it's funny and I think it works well with the scene that we're about to go into. You're all doing so well. I am so proud of... Oh, Mr. Elwood. I'm sorry I didn't see you. This is... A scene that basically actually is two small scenes cut together with some of the uh, the SFX. Right. Can we help you with something, sir? No, no. J just checking in on the operation. Carry on. Very good. Okay, class. That brings us to our next subject. Grief. Some of you might say that your anger only started showing up after you lost someone or something important to you. But remember... That is a miserable excuse. Very good transition piece. Thank you. As I was saying, that wing is primarily for the... That was a really tough scene for me to put together, honestly, on an emotional level, because I made the fatal mistake of getting a bunch of really good teen actors who I know through another project, which is mm -hmm. Records from the Reaver, to play this scene, but I only sent them this part of the script. So right. without, without understanding that the, it was enveloped in a comedy, they gave me some really realistic depictions uh, of like suffering, which was what I wanted, but I was surprised at how difficult it was for me to listen to as I was scrubbing through which take I wanted to use. It was, right. yeah, it turns out I, I don't like hearing what sounds like teenagers being tortured. Go no. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's a good thing, I guess. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, you, you knew you had Elwood moving. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't just have walking sounds the entire time. Mm -hmm. So having all that in there allowed for the transition for him to move from one building to the next building mm -hmm. um, and see the complete difference from the classroom to the week one. Yeah. I also think it helps people understand how big the compound is, right? Because he, you can hear for a pretty distinct amount of time that he has walked outside and is going over to the next building as he's telling yep. people, oh, we, we keep the inspectors away from here. And it kind of makes sense that he's walking for a while. Yes. So your monologue was really good to kind of stitch that together. Yep, that was a good scene. I think it also raises the stakes a little bit. There are elements of this story that, despite ostensibly it being a comedy, that they're going to have some kind of intense thriller elements. So this we is sort of. To. Yeah. This is the scene where I feel like you're reminded for as goofy as Elwood and, and charismatic as he can be that there, there are some. There's some serious stuff on the line here. There's some there's some bad juju going down here. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, and plus it just amplifies the the comedic parts. Mm -hmm. Is you can't have it nonstop comedy, right? Yeah. So you need the, a chance for the audience to reflect and you know clear their head a little bit, right? So yeah, yeah. It's that Shakespeare thing of having uh, a comedy scene right after something really intense happens. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. If it worked for him, it can work for me. Yeah. Hang on. Again, a brief funny scene to remind us that Hugo is still in the picture. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's short and brief, but again, just giving him life, mm -hmm. uh, making him uh, human, making him real. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and, and Chris always gives you a good part. So. Oh, absolutely. He's great. He said he had a lot of fun with um, finding the narrator voice that he uses in this. So that's fun. Yeah. 
It's also interesting, this was a scene that I tried for the most part to do all of the foley for myself. So that was kind of exciting. Uh, I think the only ones that I couldn't get were the sizzling, um, just because I didn't actually feel like making food while I was right. um, recording. And then also the uh, smoke alarm, because I think my uh, my housemates might have been a little bit annoyed if I purposely set off the smoke detectors. Um, uh, just they, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so that was fun to do, to put that together. Um, Plus, I'm sure a real one would be a lot louder, too. Oh, yeah. That's the other yeah. thing. Anytime there's like a cell phone ringing or the smoke alarm, I have to crank down that um, that effect so much because they're so loud and annoying. Yes. So I, I, walking that line between believability and not annoying the audience was <laughs> kind of important. Yeah. No, okay. so, I mean, so far, you've done a really good job. Thank you. Moving into this, I just want to say preemptively. Uh, this was not the transition that I initially intended. It was also not the one that was in the script. Um, but there was some leftover audio from uh, that I had on the cutting room floor from your opening scene. And I decided to use that to kind of build in what was kind of unintentionally a good scene transition. So with that in okay. mind. Yeah. All right. Dr. Freeman, Dr. Freeman, Not quite. son of a... <clears throat> Dr. Luther, you, uh, you startled me. Oh, I really like what you did there with the opening. thought that was really good. And yes, I do remember that part. Yeah, no, that, that was really good. Uh, I liked the the voice choice of Dr. Luther. Yes. Because um, now we're starting to see that, okay, yeah, Elwood's not the only one who's evil here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was Thomas Mergianas. He was phenomenal. I honestly, I want to ask him where he even found the project from, because I think he reached out to me privately on Discord about it. Even though I know he has a Casting Call Club account, and I know that I, I posted over there, but... He's been great. I, I love his voice. I love his ability to do accents. Uh, and he's just generally been a big supporter of the, of the production so far. He actually, um, it's a very small part that you probably can't even really notice unless you know to look for it. But back in chapter one, during the initial dream flashback sequence, he plays one of the guards who's, you know, shouting as the kids are afraid they're about to be discovered. So that's a little fun that's fact. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And had, as a result, outlasted all the New Horizon previous chief science officers by a whopping 71 months and counting. So Andrew Poole played Chris's, uh, Hugo's father. I think he initially auditioned for Luther. And I just liked his voice. I felt like he had a lot of warmth to it. So I, I put him on that because when I heard Tom or Thomas, I'm not sure what he prefers to be called. He does such an amazing job of making the character, like, menacing, but in a fun almost cartoonish villain way, which is yeah. just what you need. I think it works really well with Elwood, who kind of takes himself a bit maybe too seriously at times. So the day-to-day affairs are something I generally don't indulge in. A good leader knows how to delegate after all. And we're about to get introduced and in, this is like the longest scene for chapter two. Uh basically the main trifecta of villains here. So we've heard about the doctor for a little while now and we're about to get introduced to her here. There we go. The knob, took a few deep breaths to study myself and stepped in. I stepped up to the reinforced glass and pressed one of the two small buttons on the side wall, making an active effort not to look down at the scene below in the process. Uh, I love the interaction with the with the characters here. Um, Doctor Luther definitely sees Elwood as a superior. Mm -hmm. Uh, calling him sir, uh, always formal, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whereas Dr. Freeman, you know, always calling Elwood by his first name. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, we know there's a past between them, mm -hmm. uh, but we just we just don't know what. Right. So it, it's it's very interesting to see the the relationships building within the story here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Dr. Freeman, good afternoon. I take it this isn't a social call. I think Hannah did a great job, too, with playing Freeman. She was a, oh, a late-stage yeah. addition, and she's been phenomenal. Very good. 
I switched the intercom system back off and went back into the small lab adjoining the observation deck. Where Luther's company just slightly won out as a preferable of the two possible stimuli to be subjected to while awaiting an audience with Dr. Freeman. And I, I like how the writing is here, too. When she's talking, she doesn't allow pretty much Elwood to talk. <laughs> so she has to, whatever she's going to say, she's going to say. Yep. <laughs> so it's not until she asks a question, and even not even a qu some sometimes that if she asks mm -hmm. a question, Elwood doesn't even have a chance to respond, and she's like, boom, already answering for him. So naturally. So the procedure with the failure, I take it. That remains to be seen. How's that? Very well done. I think with with this episode, the audience is definitely going to get uh, an in an insight to the world that is around the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the big bad company definitely gets fleshed out here. Yes. And but the audience still doesn't know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. So because, yes, they know that. I mean, they're doing testing on kids. I mean, yes, they know that they're draining blood out of something. But I don't think at any time did it ever say what. Right. And they have no idea what they're doing with the blood. <laughs> uh, they don't know what the vials are for. Yeah, and it, there's there's just so many more questions that come into the mm -hmm. uh, come into the picture here, mm -hmm. and all the questions that you had from episode one don't get answered either. <laughs> so you're just building more and more questions here, mm -hmm. and I mean s some of the minor ones do get resolved, but th the major one, of course, won't. And I mean it doesn't for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting the double use of the sort of dehumanizing language from the villains, I think, does two things. I think the first is, yeah, it keeps that mystery very much alive with the audience, makes them want to continue, hopefully, continue coming back to the series to get some answers. I think, it also, <laughs> I think it also builds into, like I said, this sort of dehumanization that even the kids are referred to as subjects, uh, and whatever is being drained of blood is called the source. Right. Uh, and for that, I, I think I leaned heavily on sort of the, like, silence of the lambs. It puts the lotion in the basket, you know? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. The people just want to view certain individuals who know who they know they are wronging as sort of a means to an ends and the sort of psychology of that that maybe to separate themselves from the immoral things that they are doing right you get some of the language with one glance at the look on my face i think also what you're saying about freeman not giving elwood a, a chance to speak i like that we have two different versions of when elwood is not in control and i like that those bookend the episode yes I feel like, particularly with Hannah's delivery, she allows time for her monologue. She has almost that sort of, um, like, transatlantic accent that she takes on. And you get this real sense of confidence that is very different from how Elwood is confident, but it actually makes them kind of pair well together. And I agree with you. I think that some of that dynamic uh, makes it clear that they view each other as, if not completely equal, certainly in the same ballpark as each other, which is yes. kind of cool to see. I don't think there's anybody else in the series who Elwood treats like that. Even the brief phone call he has at the end is very much like, hey, you're about to do what I tell you to do. Right. Yeah, I don't know if I would consider them, uh, I would consider them maybe professional equals, but I mean, because right. obviously they do two totally different things. Mm -hmm. You know, she is more of the um, medical side, where he yeah. is more of the ad administration side. Yep, business. Yeah, so overall, what are your thoughts for chapter two? Uh, overall, uh, mm -hmm. I think that people would want to listen to chapter three. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say hopefully. They're, they're going to want to know. I mean, you've now introduced a world of multiple characters. Um, and between them, I mean, even even the minor characters. I mean, take uh, Adam's character. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was a small part. Yep. But, okay, it's like, okay, what does he do? Mm -hmm. You know, type of thing. You take Dr. Freeman, you take Dr. Luther. Mm -hmm. Okay, are we going to hear more from them? You know, type of thing. And what are they doing? What does Dr. Luther do? Because no one knows, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you have Elwood, who's in charge of everything, but you realize he's not. Right. Uh, I mean, he still has people that he has to answer to. He has people that are on the same playing field as him. And then, yes, he is in charge of other people. Mm -hmm. But you have no idea who's above him. 
Right. I mean, as of right now, correct me if I'm wrong, all we have is a voice on the phone. Yep. And no name has ever been spoken. Nope. Not so, even the script. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also think the whole thing about like nobody really knowing what Luther does, like that strikes me as the sort of thing that you could only put in a comedy centered like satire because otherwise it, it just doesn't make sense to exist in any other world. Right. So it's been fun leaning into that. And again, having- I mean, I was trying to mentally picture what his lab would look like mm. and I, I could just see a little bit of everything there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why no one knows what he does. Yep. Yep. And he's such a loopy guy that anytime you try to have a conversation with him, you get the sense that he's about to try to murder you. So yeah, you don't want. Yeah, it's, <laughs> he's one that you don't like talking to. So he's the weird guy who you don't sit with at lunch. Yeah, I mean that's if he even eats lunch. He probably eats lunch in his lab. So yeah, true. I mean he 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 tries to be social, but he doesn't. He's not social. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's fun. I I love. It's it's tough. I love all of these characters so much, and all of the villains have their own kind of flavor as I'm writing them. Uh, it's fun, and you get a little bit. I I just realized that. There are three main villains and there are three main protagonists. And I think I do that sort of like id ego, super ego thing with both sets of them. So Elwood is that for team villain. Hugo is that for team hero. So it's been, I think it makes them all work really well together because the character of Luther, fun fact, didn't exist until I started writing this exact scene. And then it made other parts of my outline for the story make more sense and feel feel more full back to that having a, a very lived in world thing that we were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's weird, isn't it? When you're writing how many minor characters you have to include there. Yeah. That just pop up. Yeah. But, but you need them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes minor characters turn into a bigger role. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm glad that we've got so many people in the Discord because I know that um, it's fun that I, I'm not super often having to reuse voice actors. So I think that, that also kind of subconsciously gives the audience the sense that it's like, wow, these are new people. This is a big place, despite it being in a small town. Well, I mean, it should be. I mean, I, I w- I'm going to guess that uh, this is probably the town's biggest employment opportunity. And I, I would assume that with an operation this big, with all the kids and everything and mm-hmm. all the all the science part that's going on, it easily employs well over 100 people. Easily. Yep. That's a good you know? guess. Yeah. yeah, it's also a tiny detail that the only time you hear accents that aren't either general American or Northeastern American is with the EOS employees, particularly the EOS employees on the lab side of things. That was right, which, minor would, which thing. would make sense. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, most of your medical professions are going to come from around the world. Your scientific professions are going to come so mm-hmm. from everywhere. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. I mean, the only ones that you need to have the dialogue with is all the townspeople. Yep. So they have to have the all the similar accent. Right. Yeah. Everyone else can come from all the all the EOS representatives can come from anywhere. Yep, hundred percent. That's kind of the fun thing about it too is is putting in that juxtaposition. I think kind of helps give the sense that this is a town that's really been kind of infected by this company, and they don't even realize to what an extent. Well, I mean, that's you could say that about almost every company, though. <laughs> Okay, fair point. (laughs) Sanford, there's been a development. I need you to do something for me. You're still at the police station, right? Good, good. Now listen carefully. Yeah, okay, so that was chapter two. Um, Go watch chapter three, everybody. Yeah, (laughs) once it comes out. Do it now or Elwood's going to come and get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want to thank you again for chatting with me, for um, sacrificing your Sunday morning to have this little little talk. Uh, Is there anything that you want to plug that you're working on other than this project? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm working on um, a a series uh, that's called Tales from the Janitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically what that story is, is I, I'm sure, you, I mean, most people have watched Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt, Dark Side, uh, The Man in the High Castle. You take all those shows, you put them in a blender and then flush it down the toilet. <laughs> and that's what Tales from the Janitor is. Um, it's about urban legends, un- unsolved mysteries, unexplained experiences, all this other good stuff. Uh, and it's not done with narration. We get to hear the origins of some of the legends. We get to hear people experiencing the legends. So there's all, all different kinds of ways. 
Uh, and every single episode is a completely brand new cast. So, yeah, I love a good anthology series. They're always fun. Yeah. So, I mean, some of them, some of the stories are, are horror based, of course. You know, I mean, we're talking about urban legends. Uh, some of them are written in a comedic style. Some are just like, okay, what happened? You know, <laughs> type of thing. So, uh, yeah, there's, it's all different types of things going on. Right. And where should people go if they want to look for this series? Well, I would recommend going to my YouTube channel, and that's just Bone13. Mm-hmm. It is on podcast outlets, too, uh, okay. or it will be uh, starting mm-hmm. October 17th. Uh, but those are not my sites because I am partnering with somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. All the YouTube stuff goes to me, uh, mm-hmm. and the podcast stuff is a split thing. So, But yeah, I mean, credits are everywhere. So, I mean, everyone's getting credited. It's just mm-hmm. the financial stuff, you know, right, gets split. Sure. <laughs> so yeah awesome yeah so everybody go check that out it does seem like a very fun project i hope it is <laughs> i think you know it is we're both doing the false modesty thing for our work <laughs> oh yeah i mean uh, yeah i mean I- all i know is that my work always sucks so it's, it's good <laughs> it's not true i wouldn't let you on my project if your work sucked well i mean my acting might be good but my my <laughs> my original work sucks however mm-hmm. okay sure <laughs> Everybody go check out his work and prove him wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Say that Akiva sent you and that, that he's fantastic. All right. I'm going to pause my recording now. Again, I want to thank you so much for tuning in with me. Thank you, everybody. I hope you found this interesting. Go follow Steve Bone13 everywhere. He's phenomenal and he does some great work. 